So during our time off, we learned that boxing is still corrupted. Bellator is putting on better shows. One FC is making big moves in North America. And amongst all this, and the UFC likes to drop bombs during the week of the fight. Of course, we're talking about the John Jones fiasco of UFC 232. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Hook J Podcast. Who the fuck is that guy? It's all said and done. I know one thing that I can do. I can fight. I can give it and I can take it. You should have left me over on that other game that I'm from, that more ruthless game where we bounce heads off the canvas and drill them into the floor. You should have left me where I was. The show starts now. How's it going, guys? It's Jacob. This is the Hook J Podcast. I'm the only one here today. My co-host couldn't make it, but let's dive right into this. So John Jones fails a drug test again. Who thought that would happen? Eh, a lot of people. If you guys don't know, they announced John failed a drug test in the beginning of December. They just announced it the week of the fight. Literally earlier this week, they announced, hey, John failed this drug test, and because of that, we're moving it to... LA in the forum I think is where it's actually taking place they're moving an entire event from Las Vegas to LA because one person fails a drug test now that right there as a if, if I was a fighter that would piss me off because I have to move everything I'm doing all the things that I had planned I have to stop that and now move to a different state if as a fan, if I was going there, that would piss me off because now either I have to decide, well, I'm not going there now in a six day notice and go to someplace else or not go at all or go and then not go to the UFC. There's people who made entire plans around it. You know, we can get into that, but that would piss me off. And it kind of does, even though I'm not even going to the thing. But let's talk about John. Now, John fails a drug test in December. This is the first time, according to Jeff Novinsky, who is the, uh, I guess you can call him a drug rep for the UFC. He's the guy that, you know, when USADA has a problem with a fighter, they go to him first, and then he goes to the fighter, and so on and so forth. He's the, he's the in-between guy between the UFC and USADA. He is employed by the UFC. Uh, he's never been employed by USADA to get that right, right off the bat, which I thought it was the opposite, but you know, it it was never really made public until recently, uh, or at least it wasn't common knowledge until recently. So Jeff gets the word on December 9th about John's failed drug test and he goes in and he looks, there's several pending drug tests from USADA that haven't gone through dating back to August. It came out, I think it was yesterday, that John has felt, from my count, I think it was four, four drug tests, including the one on December 9th. However, they've tested him like, I think it was nine times, and he's passed most of them. The reason being is he's passed some of them and failed some of them is because they're calling it a pulsing effect. Now, the 
reason he's failing it is because he has a long-term metabolite in his system from Tyranobol, which is the substance he failed for right after he fought Daniel Cormier. This was the same substance. Now, the reason they decided to move the fight and USADA didn't give him a violation, which this is the interesting part because this is the first time I have ever heard of this unit of measurement. He failed in the picogram amounts. Now, from what I know, from what Jeff said and what John said, it's as if you took a grain of salt and cut it into 50 millionth pieces. I think that's how they said it. It's like 50 millionth pieces of a grain of salt, and then you would have one picogram. And he failed it by anywhere from, I think the highest one was like 80. There was one that's 60, then there's one that's like 19, but... The recent one, I think, might have been 19. Anyway, it's a small, small number. And what they know is it was a long-term metabolite, which indicates it wasn't a reintroduction into a system. So they know he wasn't taking it. Um, But still, it's in his system. So they decided to move the entire event from Las Vegas to L.A. because they couldn't get a hold of the... Nevada State Athletic Commission, and that was the problem. They couldn't get his license, so they moved the whole event. But that is really upsetting to anybody because of that, because they moved the event. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. I do see why they did it in order to save the event, in order to have it go on, but they could have easily just moved the fight. That's all they should have did, just move the fight, and be done with it, but they decided to do all this and make even more controversy around it and bring more eyes to it. So it was an interesting PR type thing they did, but I don't necessarily agree with it because it reflects badly on the UFC because they're allowing somebody who is it's made public that they do have these drugs in their system, but they're allowing them to fight. It's a very bad, it's, it's, it's a mixed review of PR, I should say. It's something that could go bad, could go good, but they decided to, you know, mix it up, I guess. Now, John failed the test. This stuff is still in a system. We know that because he's testing multiple times of this being in a system. And this tarnishes his career, having this in there. He's going to test positive for a long time, is what Jeff Nowinski has said, because what they believe is that these long-term metabolites are in his layers of fat. They they believe that these long-term metabolites stay in your fat, and they believe that when you're cutting, especially when you're cutting weight, uh, it's possible that they can be reintroduced into your system as you're cutting weight because you're losing fat in order to make the weight, you're losing water, blah, blah, blah. That's That's what he basically said on the JRE podcast, uh, it's actually a really good episode. It explains a lot more in detail. I know I'm skipping over a lot of it. This It's still in his system, and it reflects badly on the UFC because he's going to test positive for a long time. It reflects badly on his career because, you know, despite the fact that he's tested positive multiple times this year, he's tested positive three times for banned substances in the past, which all of them were determined to be, well, except for the cocaine charge, all of them were turned determined to be like accidental 
not on purpose, according to Asada. But it brings up the question with this one is if the amount in a system or in the picogram amounts, an amount so small that it's smaller than a grain of salt, according to your drug guy, you know, the, the guy head of UFC is like, oh, it's such a small amount. Then why has the UFC treated other fighters differently if they have found the same sort of amounts in different fighters and have banned them? Taylor Lawler comes to mind because as far as I know, he was sort of the same situation. They found stuff in the picogram amounts. Frank Mir comes to mind, sort of the same situation, but they still managed to ban them. But this comes out earlier in the week, during fight week, and they just moved the card. I don't understand that. Uh, I'm sure there's probably more details, and I'm sure there's a list of bullshit they can probably feed you, but that just doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to give a fighter a, a sentence like that, if you're going to tell them, hey, you can't do this because this is in your system, then you 100% should be able to do that to a different fighter even though it's under a slightly different circumstance, but it's still the same thing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't think it's fair. It reflects badly on the sport. It shows the world that the biggest promotion in the sport can't even handle something correctly. It's amazing. On the other hand, you also have this guy who, you know, science has proven that these things are going to be in a system for a while. And if it's that small of an amount, how could that help him with any performance enhancing? How can that provide any sort of performance enhancement if it's such a small amount? Should we crucify him for having something in there that he unknowingly ingested in the first place and it's still in there? I don't think so. But it's doesn't reflect good on him in the first place of having it. He said in recent interviews that he's really cautious about it because he doesn't want to ruin his reputation anymore. He said that uh, he's really, you know, skeptical of people offering him anything. He doesn't want to accept coffee anywhere he goes. He, he's, he's really trying to not have anything in his system, but then this pops up. So should we crucify him for something that he didn't even know was in his system still? I don't think so, but I'm sure I've did it. I've, I've, as soon as I heard John Jones tested positive, I acted like DC. I was like, "Yeah, he tested positive. I fucking knew it." And, I, and you know, I made jokes. You look at Twitter. There's a bunch of them on there, and I'm gonna keep doing it because uh, it's just fun to do. But John, you know, you shouldn't necessarily take him and run him under the bus for it. The other three times, okay. I can kind of understand that because first time was Coke. We can all make fun of him. He knowingly did it. He admits he did it. Second time, oh, uh, I didn't know it. Third time, I still didn't know it. Uh, But this time, he really didn't. You know, it's one of those things. It's just, it's it's really weird, this situation. And it, it reflects badly on the sport. But I do see how this brought more eyes to the UFC this week. I do see how Jeff Nowinski, you, you, I do see how you could think Jeff Nowinski went on the JRE podcast and essentially just did damage control because it sounded like it. 
it sounded like bullshit the entire time he was talking. It sounded like he was just going to sit there and try to justify him having a job, which it kind of does. But if the science is right, if what he's saying is true, you can't crucify John Jones for what it is. However, on the flip side of that, if John Jones tests positive one more time, right? Say he knowingly does this. Say he knowingly, I don't know, figures out a way to microdose himself that you know, with small portions. That way it's out of his system. You know, he can take these small hits of something, it'd be in his system, go do a workout, make a little bit of a gain, a little process, recover a little faster, and then be out of his system and then test positive for it. Then, if that happens, and they can prove that John Jones is tested positive for the fourth time, then it's all over for him. It's all over for his career. It's over for his legacy. As of right now, John Jones is known as the only person to test positive three times and still be able to fight in the UFC. How? I don't understand that. I don't get that. But until he's caught and the UFC is like, no more. We're never doing this again. And actually mean it. Because Dana White has said before, oh, we're never going to main event John Jones again. But he does it. Dana White has said before that, oh, we're never going to main event John Jones again. But he has done it repeatedly. I don't understand it. I don't understand why... Exactly, you would go, I put so much faith in this guy, especially after the UFC 200 fuck-up. No. There's there's a certain line where you have to put put in the sand, and that's something that should be done, and you got to hold yourself to that line, hold yourself to that standard, and the UFC just hadn't did it yet. You know, I, I, I'd hate to... I'm not the type of person to give somebody seven chances. Apparently, Dana White in the UFC is... Uh, maybe it's just because of a money grab. I'm not saying that's exactly what it is, but hey, it's possible. I just I don't like this situation at all. I don't. I think a lot of people don't like it. I don't see how you would like to, like this at all. If this fight, if this fight were to just take place, say they still had in Las Vegas, John never tested positive again. They went to it, and it was just just a normal card. You would not be talking at all about this on ESPN. You would not be talking about this on Fox Sports. You wouldn't be talking about this. You would go, oh, the UFC, blah, blah, blah. And you wouldn't mention John Jones' drug tests. You wouldn't mention anything about this besides the, the two main events. That's it. But I do see how this could help promote a fight. I can see how this happens. I don't understand the logistics of it. I don't understand how they went and they got a whole building that was, wasn't was being used, so, oh, we bought it at the last minute to use it. I don't get that. I don't get why a lot of this was be able to be done on six days' notice. I don't get why they decided to announce it on six days' notice, especially if they knew back in December 9th. Uh, maybe it was just like, oh, we got to figure everything out before they did. That's possible too. It's just, it's an interesting situation. This is the first time I think I've ever heard of this happening at all.
Besides the John Jones, uh, Alexander Gustafsson debacle that's happening here, it's mostly just John. The undercard, or the fight underneath, I should say, is not really the undercard. It's the co-main event. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. The co-main event is Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes. The possibly, I want to say possibly, the greatest uh, fight to ever take place in women's mixed martial arts. You have a champion that's been dominant for over 10 years. Okay, get that on your mind. 10 years in MMA. She has not lost. Not one, one fight. You can go back to Strike Force, Forge, Invicta. I've, I can't even tell you exactly when she's you know she started this run it was there's a lot of been there's a lot of organizations she's been in that she's just ran through everybody but cyborg has been through a lot of women and then she meets amanda nunez tomorrow actually on the 29th and amanda nunez has been on a tear since she got the belt even a little bit before then where she dethroned misha tate for the championship, she has beat the brakes off of Ronda Rousey, Raquel Pennington. Uh, she's been through a lot of people in that Bantamweight division with no problem. Uh, there are probably a few people that were going to give her a, a run for her money, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. So she decides to move up and wait to fight Cyborg. You know, as I previously mentioned, she's a 10-year champ. She's possibly the most dominant one, dominant female mixed martial artist to ever step foot in a ring. You have a woman who's dethroned the goats of the sport versus the goat of the sport. This is an interesting fight. I, I would put this as a main event above John Jones and Gustafson any day. I, this is the fight that I want to watch, actually. This, this sounds weird. You know, Gustafson and, or Gustafson, I should say. Gustafson and Jones went to, the, or they went the distance in possibly one of the greatest fights of all time. But honestly, I want to see Cyborg and Nunez more. I want to see if Nunez can control Cyborg. I think going into it, if Nunez decides to take a page out of Holly Holmes' book and control the fight, control the pace, you know, make sure you get in the middle of the octagon, then square up, get in close, grab Cyborg, push her towards the cage, and hold her there and work from the cage. I think that's the only way that Cyborg, you know, is going to lose. I don't see Amanda Nunes necessarily outstriking her. I, I do think that she's a little bit faster, but I don't think she has the power. And Cyborg... We all know Cyborg's got the power. We all know that she's able to do that. But there's certain positions that we've seen people get Cyborg in that she had trouble with. You know, Holly Holmes had her up against the cage. And every time, you know, even though Cyborg got Holly Holmes back towards the cage, Holly Holmes managed to reverse it a lot and keep her there and control her in the cage and win that cage battle. Earlier in her career, when Cyborg was fighting Gina Carano, every time you know there was a little bit there where Gina got her got into full mount, and Cyborg was having trouble. You know this isn't the Cyborg from back then, but still this is uh, 
that's a little bit of a problem. She she doesn't necessarily go to the ground that often. Amanda Nunes, she's she's no slouch. She's got a piston for both hands, really. And she's she's got good game plan every time. This that that's the fight that I would want to watch. Uh I don't necessarily want to put a lot of emphasis on the John Jones Gustafson fight, but between the two, I would rather watch that one. Now, the John Jones Gustafson fight, that was the first one was pretty good. The first one was considered many considered one of the greatest fights of all time. But you gotta look at it this way. These are two fighters that haven't fought in a year and a half. Uh these are two fighters that even before then, uh, Gustafson was on a little bit of a streak. He had one or two fights that were really good. Uh, John Jones had a long layoff, long layoff, because of a drug violation. Comes back, fights, gets another drug violation, and has even a longer layoff. That's a whole different deal. You know, he's only fought twice in two years. I think Gustafson's fought more than that, but even then, it, he's had like a year and a half off. And he's been through a couple injuries. So the question is, does ring rust really exist? Um, Jones proved that even on his worst day in the octagon, he can still pull out a victory. And that was, you can argue, that was either against Gustafsson or against OSP. Uh, But either way, he won. On his worst day in the octagon, he won. Gustafsson, I'm not sure if he's ever had this much time off. And I'm not sure exactly how he fares after having that much time off. That's a big question. John's known as one of the greatest people to step foot in that octagon. Can Gustafsson come in after this time off and prove to everybody here that he has not only the ability to beat John, but the ability to out? I imagine if Gustafsson's going to win, I don't see it being a finish. I see it being outpointed. So you have to outpoint John. That's a big problem. And John, he's got he's to be able to adapt and move. That's something that, you know, we haven't really seen from him in any fight. Uh, the interesting part about his last two fights, from what I remember, is the OSP, you can argue, is one of his worst fights that he did. But he still did. He still won. And he was very slow. He's a little bit of ring rust. He was a little bit bigger then, because that was after his layoff, and he got into bodybuilding or whatever. And he was really, really slow. He wasn't quite firing as normal. And he even said it after the fight that he wasn't, because he was a little timid, trying to get back in the groove. Then he fights DC not too long after that. And that was an interesting fight. A lot of people, you know, obviously, John Jones won. But going into, I think it was the second round or so, uh, DC was controlling the fight and doing fairly well against John. Uh, just John caught him with that that high kick, which is, you know, everyone's going to point out that was something that John said he was going to do, and he did. It's, it's very interesting because I don't, honestly, between those two, I don't know who you would want to pick. It seems like an even matchup. But I think between the two fights... The, the main event and the co-main event. I would re- rather watch the co-main event just because the mysticism around, like, Cyborg, right? Cyborg's the one lady that nobody wants to mess with. 
and a man known as the lioness. Lioness? Lioness? And a man known as the Vanamite champ saw this and just said, fuck it, I'm going for it, and charges into this lion den, you know? Or Cyborg charging into her lion den, I'm not sure. But either way, I think Cyborg and Nunez is going to be a little bit of a better fight. Uh, I just have this weird feeling about it. And honestly, I'm not even sure if uh, uh, John's, you know, if he's going to be John that we all know. That's something that I'm not sure. Everyone's kind of banking on it, like, oh, John's one of the greatest to do it and all this. But we've seen it before. We've seen people return after long layoffs and just not deliver to what we thought they would be. Most recent, like, uh, GSP comes to mind. Everybody thought he was going to come in and just destroy Michael Bisbing, but he was a little slower than normal. He got cut up real bad. You know, John did it before that. He was really slow against OSP. And uh, even with Daniel Cormier, he was a little slow. So I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure about that one. I, um, I don't really want to pick with the Cyborg one. Uh, but either way, I think those two are the ones that you, you really need to watch. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for... Uh, Paying attention and putting up. Thank you for listening to the Hook J Podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. See you next episode. Sometimes you've got to do what's right for you and not do what's right for everybody else. Branching out to do a couple other different types of podcasts, so you might catch that on the channel. But thank you guys. We really do appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter, like, share, subscribe. Wouldn't tell you to do that, but definitely do that. Thanks, guys. Bye.